One of the most uh, debilitating problems we must all deal with in life is the problem of anger. Anger can be so devastating because it can take hold of us almost before we know it. And it declares itself in so many different ways, from a smouldering resentment in a relationship that continues to poison that relationship for years, and sadly when that happens, it also spills over and spoils all other relationships as well. So it can be a smouldering resentment. But also it can move to verbal and even physical abuse, such as we see in road rage incidents and shopping, uh, shopping sensor incidents, and now there's even trolley rage. I mean, it's, it's everywhere. Anger is also debilitating because sooner or later, it goes public, on display, causing acute embarrassment to everyone. Of course, the, the answer to anger is self-control. But it's one thing to say it, but it's another thing to do it. Look what my, uh, Wayne Dyer says about anger, and I think he really narrows it. He says this. Perhaps you've justified your short-fuse behaviour by saying things like, it's only human, or I don't if I don't express it, I will store it up and have an ulcer. Listen, anger is a part of you that you don't like, and nor does anyone else. Anger is not, quote, only human. You do not have to possess it, and it serves no purpose that has anything to do with being a, a happy, fulfilled person. It's a kind of psychological flu that incapacitates you, just like a physical disease does. Anger is a choice, as well as a habit. It is a learned reaction to frustration in which you behave in ways that you would rather not. In fact, severe anger is a form of insanity. Therefore, when you are, out, when you are angry and out of control, you are temporarily insane. I think that really nails it. But then what does the Bible say about anger? Numbers 14 and 18. The Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiving sin and rebellion. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children for the sin of the parents to the, fourth, to the third and fourth generation. In anger, says Paul, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down uh, do the sun, sun go down while you are still angry. It's not wrong to be angry. God, as we know from scripture, gives vent to his anger, just as Jesus did at the tomb of Lazarus as he confronted the awful reality of death, and then when he confronted the money changes in the temple. But God's anger is never out of control. And its expression is totally consistent with his holy revulsion against evil. Until now, in our series on David, we've been full of admiration 
for this young man. But today we see David is angry and out of control. He blows it and nearly commits murder of the premeditated type. There are three characters in 1 Samuel 25, David, Nabal, and Abigail. Let's look at the situation first. 1 Samuel 25 verse 1. Then David moved down into the desert of Maon. A certain man in Maon who had property there in, at Carmel was very wealthy. He had a thousand goats and three thousand sheep, which he was shearing in Carmel. His name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman, but her husband, a Cabalite, was surly and mean in his dealings. After sparing the life of Saul at Engedi, David continues to move around the countryside with his 600 freedom fighters, eking out a living from the land and being a bodyguard and security service for the shepherds and their flocks against marauding bands of bandits. For Saul's kingdom was not secure. His borders were not secure. David had done an outstanding job of looking after these shepherds. And we know how good David and his men were by what Nabal's shepherds actually said to him. We read this in 1 Samuel 25-15. Yet this is Nabal's servant speaking to, to Nabal. Yet these men were very good to us. They did not mistreat us. And the whole time we were out in the fields near them, nothing was missing. Night and day they were a wall around us. All the time we were herding our sheep near them. This wealthy man, Nabal, owned land in Carmel as well as Maon. And David and his men had, did, had done a magnificent job. But Nabal also had a magnificent wife who was both wise and beautiful. But now it was shearing time in Carmel and Nabal had moved to Carmel to oversee the shearing. Now it was an acceptable custom that shearing time was also payday for the services rendered by David and his men who had ensured that Nabal would actually have a flock to shear. There was no written law, but it was the done thing as to how gratitude was expressed. So David sends a delegation of his men to ask Nabal to give whatever he thinks is fitting for the protection, for the security that he gave his shepherds. Look at what David said through his men to Nabal. Now I hear that it is sheep shearing time. When your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them. And the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. Ask your servants and they will tell you. Therefore, be favourable toward my young men, 
since we come at a festive time, please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. And then look at Nabal's reply. Nabal answered David's servants, Who is David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat that I've slaughtered for my shearers and give it to men coming from who knows where? So we're very clear about where uh, Nabal's focus is, aren't we? It's all about himself. The name Nabal means fool. And that is exactly what Nabal was, a fool. David, as we read, had sent a group of ten young men. He did not go himself because he did not want to intimidate Nabal. He sent a friendly greeting without any specific demands of what the remuneration should be. The response from Nabal was that he was a liar. You see, Nabal reckons he didn't know who David was. And, he, and, and you can tell from his servants, travelling from Maon to Carmel, that they never mentioned something about David to him. Nabal would have known who David was. And then to describe David as a kind of vagrant or wandering lawless servant, how insulting was that? Nabal simply did not want to pay up. He was a selfish man, totally obsessed with himself. One writer has described Nabal like this. A descendant of the lion-hearted Judah and of the courageous Caleb, this Nabal came of a noble stock, but cursed with a narrow heart, a senseless head, and a growling nature, he fell as far below average humanity as his great ancestors had risen above it. With all his wealth and family connection, he appears to us now as poor a creature as ever lived, and we cannot think of him without reflecting how little true glory or greatness, mere wealth or worldly possession confers. To put it bluntly, Nabal was a toad. I remember in one church I was at, a particular lady when she actually didn't really like someone, that was the title she gave them, a toad, and I think Nabal was one of those. Well, then next is David's reaction. David's men, sorry, where are we? Ah, sorry, I lost my place here. Ah, here we are. Yeah, David's reaction. David's men returned, turned around and went back. When they arrived, they reported every word. David said to his men, put on your swords. So they put on their swords. 
and David put on his. About 400 men went up with David, while 200 stayed with the supplies. David exploded. Remember, this is the same man who was conscience-stricken because he cut off a piece of Saul's robe. This is the man who refused to take any vengeance when his men were urging him to take Saul out. David then was a model of grace and patience yesterday. But yesterday's victories don't mean victories tomorrow because every new day there's a new battle. Maybe they hit David at a wrong time. He may have been worried where his provisions were going to come from. Or maybe he had made preparations for a meal, expecting his young men to return with the provisions, and of course they didn't turn up. And remember, now he has a small army, and to take care of 600 soldiers plus their families. Then there was the aggravating insult of Nabal's words. Who is David? When you have worked, cared, sacrificed generously, and then been dismissed without any token of gratitude, and as a nobody, I can't think of anything more designed to get your blood boiling, even if you're the best-natured person. And here is a classic example of what the Apostle James says in James 3.5. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil, among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. As I said, David exploded. David said to his men, put on your swords. So they put on their swords, and David put on his sword, which means that David was not thinking of going to have a discussion with Nabal. David was mad and filled with rage at the injustice and arrogance of Nabal. He has murder on his mind. And so 400 men went with him. It was like using a shotgun to uh, kill a fly. Someone said about David at this point, David, David, what are you doing? Look at you. Your self-control has gone to pieces. You have allowed a fool and his insulting words to make you a fool. What's the matter with you, David? Why destroy your reputation on someone like him. And then imagining David's reply, he says, David says, it's not fair. 
I'm justified in doing this. Nabal deserves what's coming to him. He has spat in my face. Well, we've looked at the situation. We've looked at David's reaction to Nabal. Now we come to Abigail's wisdom. A servant had the good sense to quickly run to Abigail and lay out the situation before her. Look at her response. If you wonder what godliness looks like, this woman is loaded with it. It says, Abigail lost no time. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five sears of roasted grain, a hundred cakes of raisins, and 200 cakes of pressed figs, and loaded them on donkeys. Then she told her servants, go on her ahead, I'll follow you. But she did not tell her husband. She has her feet on the ground. She knows what's going on. She knows what needs to be done, and she does it. She quickly does what, Abe, what Nabal should have done and sends her servants ahead of her with the food to placate David. And then she arrived on the scene with good food to stop this angry man. And we read, when Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David and her face to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, My Lord, let the blame be on me. Please let your servant speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. May the Lord pay no attention to that wicked man Nabal. He's just like his name. His name is Fool. And folly goes with him. But as for me, your servant, I did not see the men my master sent. Just for a moment, put yourself in Abigail's shoes. I don't think her marriage was all that happy. And here was her big chance to get rid of Nabal. So when she heard the news, she could have said, well, that's not good, but let's just see what happens. Or she could have been really spiritual and said, well, let's have a prayer meeting. And she could have prayed, Lord, deal with Nabal and do it quickly. <laughs> but she doesn't. She knows what he is and speaks the truth. Because she says to David, may my Lord pay no attention to that wicked man, Nabal. He's just like his name. His name is a fool. She is a woman who is honest. She makes no excuses for her husband. She's aware of the situation and she's honest about him. But also, 
She is righteous and faithful and refuses to be part of any sin to get rid of her terrible husband. And not only that, she is prepared to take the blame, his blame, upon herself. This woman was courageous. When she went out to meet David, she did not know what was going to happen. And also, she is sacrificial. She said, I will take responsibility for what he's done. What a tremendous woman. Here is Christ-likeness. Here is godliness. But also I note, before she said anything, she bowed down with her face to the ground and gave David the respect that he was due. She is humble and respectful. That is where godliness begins. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off, the, off her donkey, bowed down before David with her face to the ground, and six times she calls herself his maidservant. And eight times she calls David her lord. As I read what Abigail did, it is obvious that when she heard the news in the kitchen, she summed up the situation very quickly and carefully planned out exactly what she was to say and do. A beautiful woman who was also very wise. She had tact, warning David also not to give vent to his rage because he's going to be the king and he doesn't want this murder on his conscience. There in this woman, Abigail, is a picture of Christ-likeness, of real godliness, a woman full of humility and respect, a woman who is honest, a woman who is righteous and faithful when everything would have been there to be the exact opposite, a woman who is courageous and a woman who was sacrificial. Look at David's response. Sorry. When he hears what Abigail had to say, David said to Abigail, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you to me today. May you be blessed and for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Abigail's intervention returned David to sanity and saved him from having a terrible blotch on his record that would haunt him for the rest of his life. How do we deal 
with anger. I just want to make two simple points and then follow that with two simple verses. We break the cycle of anger by drawing near to God. That's the only way. Jesus said, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Secondly, what we can do is we can share our struggle with anger with a trusted Christian friend who can keep us accountable and together we can work out some kind of strategy so that we can deal with anger before it even begins. By putting it out there with someone else, it can break the cycle that we find ourselves in anger. And then lastly, there's just two key verses. James 1.20 For the wrath of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. And Proverbs 15 and verse 1 A soft answer turns away wrath but a harsh word stirs up anger. May we be like Abigail, godly, and in that godliness, helping to keep people from anger. Let's pray. Our loving Father, we thank you this morning for this wonderful passage of Scripture. We thank you, Lord, for the testimony of Abigail. We thank you, Father, how she teaches us how to turn people from doing that which is wrong. With humility, with grace, with tact, with understanding, and with soft words. Lord, may we have your spirit that we may be just like that, just like Jesus, because we ask it in his name. Amen.